0: Hello and welcome to episode 106 of the Batflip Crazy podcast, where you'll always find enthusiastic data-driven fantasy baseball analysis and strategy. I am your host, Toby. Uh, today is also episode 16, I believe, of the Bat- Bubba and the Batflip uh, podcast. So uh, me and Bubba will be discussing the latest news and notes from a very hot ops- off-season uh, hot stove. Is that what it's called? Um, I think it's called a hot stove. Um, uh, whatever it is, uh, it is it is hot. Uh, there's been a lot of signings, some really interesting news going on, very different from previous seasons, which is exciting uh, to see for the game. So we cover those and then we do our last look back um, at how we did on our starting pitcher picks from last year, three pitchers that we hit on. Uh, three pitchers that we missed um, with the goal really being how, what, what have we learned um, from those hits and misses that we can apply towards 2020. And then moving forward from this point forward, we'll start with some position previews. I think we're going to do catcher and one other position just to make it interesting uh, for y'all uh, in the next... Uh, episode that we cover, um, which may be in the new year, maybe right before then. Um, It is the holiday season, so definitely want to wish all of you um, a happy holidays, whether it's Christmas, whether it's Hanukkah, or you choose to celebrate um, something else or not at all. Uh, I definitely hope that you spend it with um, family, with friends, with loved ones, and with some really good food, Um, because uh, I don't know about y'all, but um, I don't know why I've said y'all twice, but whatever. Uh, I don't know about all of you, but um, uh, I love the I love the food season in the holidays. I just love eating a ton of cookies. Uh, that's pretty much my goal uh, in life, uh, generally speaking. And I get to achieve that goal during the holidays. So very excited about that. All right, as usual, uh, if you like the podcast, please do go to iTunes and leave a five star rating and review. Always, always appreciate that. Um, So thank you to everybody who does that. You can reach me on uh, Twitter at BatFlipCrazy. And Bubba is um, Casey uh, Dentrek uh, at, um, uh, or Casey Bubba, but it's at BDentrek on Twitter. Uh, Always a great follow. I'm sure you're following Bubba if you're following me. But if not, uh, that is where he's at. All right, I'm rambling. Let's get this party
1: started. And welcome back, everybody, to another edition of Bubba the Batflip Edition, episode 17. We're wrapping up our positional recaps of the 2019 season, looking ahead to 2020. We have a ton of recent news to talk about that's taken place in the last. Four or five days of the hot stove continues to churn. You can find me on Twitter at BDentric and my co-host on this endeavor. As always, find me on Twitter at BatFlipCrazy. Toby, how are we doing, my
0: friend? Bubba, we are doing we are doing good. It's really nice to be back after a week-long um, hiatus. I will take the, uh, take the blame for that one, but it's awesome to be back. The hot stove is cooking. There's a lot of really interesting and exciting things happening in baseball, which is refreshing, I think. Yes.
1: It's refreshing because last year was so miserable and now we've like, it almost seems like the world series ended and baseball Twitter really hasn't stopped, which is a beautiful thing. Like I cover football and I, I enjoy it. But as everyone knows, that listens to the show. I love baseball. Obviously Toby loves baseball. So it's nice to have it going year round. It's 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 I'm thoroughly enjoying this offseason season for once.
0: Yeah, no, it's been, it's been really nice and to see players generally speaking getting rewarded. Mm-hmm. Um, is is really nice. I mean, there's been some great players on the market this year, and even some guys who, you know, aren't necessarily studs who have at least been making, you know, getting multi uh, multi year deals, which is nice to see. Like obviously, Garcia uh, today, I was I was glad to see that. You know, again, like he kind of took a a risk in signing a one year deal, or maybe that was all he had last year. But mm-hmm. to see him get repaid for playing well is is nice. I always love to see players getting a little bit of
1: the pie. Yeah, no doubt about it. And it seems like I think the last couple of years it was slow and we were critiquing things. But you're seeing certain teams do things now that maybe they did have a plan in place. I don't want to give them all the benefit of the doubt, but it's almost like they had an idea of what they wanted. And we talked about the the free agent classes coming up, so maybe that's something to do with it. Maybe not. Maybe they're just kind of they're being stingy and and, and dumb in years past. But it seems like they're being more aggressive. You're seeing certain teams that were rebuilding now going for it. Yeah, it it's kind of fun to see the whole thing take place. Like, well, for instance, the Diamondbacks, I didn't see them being super active. Toby, I don't know about you, but they go out and sign Bumgarner to a five-year, $85 million deals. What do you think about Mad Bum in the desert staying in the NL West? Yeah, it's interesting. You
0: know, the D-backs have quietly been one of these teams who I think has done right by everyone in the sense that they realize they're not necessarily competing for the world series but they've still fielded a competitive team with some exciting players on it and then kind of a little bit out of the blue you know i don't know if i saw them connected with Bumgarner. you know the braves were connected the twins were connected maybe the angels but um they kind of came out of nowhere and you know i, I think uh mad bum gets some critiquing because he's not the player that he used to be but i actually like the signing a lot for the d-backs it's not i mean Obviously, eighty-five million dollars is a lot, but over the course of five years, you know, slightly over fifteen million a year, um, I don't think that's that's terrible. And I think Mad Bum, you know, I was digging into the the skills earlier today, and his skills in twenty nineteen were better than his skills were in twenty eighteen. He made improvements, and what I think is most interesting is he is he's been making adjustments. Um, he started throwing his curveball, for instance. Um, towards the end of last year um, and improved some of the skills the batted ball quality was a little tough during that stretch but um, the curveball has the highest swinging strike rate of any of his pitches at 16.9 percent last year it generates close to 55 percent ground balls so um, I don't know he's he's a smart pitcher obviously and um, you know he should he seems to be adapting all right and you know, he doesn't need to be the guy that he used to be in order to bring value to the D-backs. If he can be right around that four ERA with like a one, two whip, um, and almost a K per nine, like that's, you know, that's, that's definitely playable. And I think that's probably what the D-backs will end up getting, um, for a large, uh, portion of the contract. It's hard to know a few years out, but, um, I don't mind the signing at all. How do you, how do you feel having lost one of the uh, the keys to your many celebrations with the
1: Giants. Um, I, I'm okay with it. I, I knew they weren't going to pay him. They were actually – they offered him four years for the same AAV, which they just didn't want to give him the fifth year. That's all it was. Mm. The Diamondbacks wanted to give him the fifth year. You know, I've already heard all the stories. He's got a horse ranch there. He likes to live there. All this. Oh, so sure. It makes sense. You know, go enjoy yourself. Do your thing. Totally get it. But um, – I, it doesn't break my heart. It sucks. But in this era of baseball, it's not like when we were kids where guys played their whole career. with, with We're not going to see it anymore. Jeter might be the last guy you see. It's just not going to happen. It'll be super rare if it happens. Let's put it that way. Um, so I, I expected it. Once they didn't trade him, I knew they probably weren't going to sign him unless he took the qualifying offer, which is funny because I talked about it somewhere else that I didn't think he'd get a monster deal. And if you really break it down, he's getting $17 million a year, which is less than the qualifying offer. And if you look, if you can imagine what the qualifying offer will be the next few years, it's going to get less, like more and more less than the uh, the, the, the qualifying offer. So he wanted the long term part of it. That's all he wanted. So I'm totally OK with it. Uh, he knows the division that when the rumors of the uh, Dodgers came into play, I was terrified. I wanted nothing to do with that. But uh, going to Arizona, it, it, like I said, it'll stink. It's in division. You'll see him. You know, he played the Dynamax 18 times a year. But at the same time, it doesn't break my heart. I, I went to bat for him going into last draft season when everybody thought he was done. And I said, the thing with Bumgarner is he's a competitor. He's not a thrower. He's a competitor, and he's smart, and he'll learn how to pitch. Like, there's certain guys, once they just lose their velocity or whatever, that they, they're done because they can't figure out how to pitch. You look at, like, Greg Maddox is of the world, and these guys, I'm not saying Bumgarner Greg Maddox by any means – but they learn how to, to work with what they have. And Bumgarner started to do that at times last year. Now, he was much better at home than on the road last year. That was, it was pretty drastic splits there. But he's always pitched well in Arizona, even before the uh, humidor. 19 games started, 3-1-3 ERA, a whip of one struck out almost nine uh, batter per inning. So only 15 homers and 118 innings pitched in chase field. So I, I'm not too worried about that. You still have the Giants lineup he can mow down for a couple of years. Uh, the Padres are going to be better, but they're still rebuilding with some young swing and miss. And, you know, Coors is Coors, and the Dodgers are Dodgers. But you have a couple of nice matchups there to toy with. So I, I don't mind it at all. I think it's a good move. He's uh, pick 115 in uh, NFPCS right now, uh, pitcher 38. So I think that's a good value. Going around guys like Carrasco, right behind Ryu, Lizardo, Lamette. Um, I, I don't hate it at all. I, I'm okay with it. I'm not one of the disgruntled Giants fans I see all over Twitter, like crying about it. This is baseball and it sucks, but uh, he wasn't coming back. It was going to be a miracle to get him back, in my opinion.
0: Yeah. And it works out for the Giants, too, because they um, get a draft pick. pick. Yeah, exactly. And I I, I can't remember if it was you or somebody else was saying they have four of the first 80 picks, I think. Five Uh, of the first 85. Five of the first 85. Nice. Yes. That's going to be beautiful. Yeah. It works out great. They didn't. They didn't end up training him at the deadline, and, but they still were able to get some compensation for it. So, uh, well done, I think, all around. Well handled.
1: all around. Yes, I need to get with RotoWare because my my every time the Giants do something smart, I quote tweet it with hashtag In Farhan We Trust because things sure. he's doing great things like just trading for Cozart to get the number one pick last year from the Angels. Genius. Like I'll play that game all day long because we're rebuilding. He, he's built a farm system. I saw a tweet today. I can't remember who it was. Um, I think Bum... Oh, there's... Since Bumgarner's been drafted, he has the fourth most home runs from a player drafted by the Giants. And he's a pitcher. (laughs) So that just tells you how bad the farm system's been. And they actually have really good bats in there now. So... It's, I think good things are coming, but we won't make this Giants Hour. People can, uh, can get my opinions on Twitter for that everywhere. Tune into the Giants Hour with Bubba, which is yes. his 81st podcast that he mm-hmm. weekly podcast that he does. You know, honestly, when I first thought about doing my first ever podcast, I thought about just doing a giant centric one, uh-huh. but I was like, yeah, let's have some more fun with it. Yeah. Um, let's go to the Indians and Rangers made a trade. Corey Kluber going to the tribe or to the Rangers and going to the Indians, Delano Shields Jr., the dentist. And Emmanuel and I looked. Uh, I saw Petriello say this. Classe. It's spelled C L A S E, but it's classe. Classe. So uh, interesting way to go about it. There. First off, for Kluber, he's only getting like eighteen million this year, seventeen million this year, eighteen million on an option next year. Price is right to me. I think it's a good move. What's your thoughts on Kluber going to a new controlled environment in Texas? Yeah.
0: Yeah, you know, I'm. Um, I have not been a fan of Kluber. I wasn't a fan of him last year, which was a which was a big, very fortunate on that front. As we get into the starting pitchers, we'll talk a little bit more about that. But um, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if it's a rational dislike of of, of Kluber at this point in his career. But the velocity has been going down about a half tick uh, per year for him. He's down in the 91 mile per hour range. And it just felt like, and and um, I need to dig a little deeper to find out whether I was just kind of making this up. I did a little bit of digging before the podcast started, and and it it may just be my imagination, but he seemed to be getting hit a lot harder. He obviously did last year. We've got recency bias, but even in the second half of 2018, it felt like he was giving up more fly balls. Um, he was just getting hit ar- around a little bit harder. And so that's that's what kind of made me a little a little queasy. And I also think that we like look back at his Cy Young year uh, when he had a 15.6% swinging strike rate. That really is the anomaly. He's been between 12% and 12.9% in every, in the last six, se- the other five seasons in the last six. And so I think that's really the guy that we're looking at is not like the 34% strike ra- strikeout rate guy that we got in 2017, but instead kind of the you know, like 26, 27% strikeout rate guy. And I think that's before, I think that we're going to see that go down again. You know, it'll be interesting to see what his velocity is at at spring training, but I don't mind the trade in either direction. I know people have been giving uh, the Indians a little bit of a crap. I think the Indians should get a little bit of crap if they were going to do this, not doing it last year. I think when, when his value was pretty high, Um, He's almost 34. He sees that diminishing velocity. He's not that same power pitcher, you know, that you see with like a Verlander or Scherzer who can still pump it, like pump at 95. That's not who Kluber is. And so I'm not a big fan heading into this year. I probably won't own any shares of him, even at the decreased price. I think for the Indians, I mean, the return is fairly light. Classe is good. I'm not as big of a fan of him as other folks. You know, he, he did not have a great uh, strikeout rate. He certainly throws the ball really hard and might be able to limit contact a little better than others because of that. Also struggled a little bit with control, though it improved towards the end of the year. So certainly an interesting piece to have in that bullpen for them and to control. DeShields is, fa- is fascinating for them. I mean, I wonder, like, do you put DeShields in center and then move Mercado to right field? Um, And if so, is that like the lightest hitting outfield in all of baseball that they're going to have there? Um, It'll just be really interesting to see what the Indians do from a lineup standpoint because they are going to have a decent amount of speed there, uh, not a lot of pop. And so it'll be interesting to see how they try to make the most of that. It also has some interesting – man, can I talk, Bubba? Man, can I talk? Um, It also (laughs) has some interesting uh, implications just for like – for Cleveland overall, like just thinking about how their lineup is coming together, are they going to be able to score runs? Like, are they going to be a team that is actually competitive? Like, what does that mean for some of the other pieces, like uh, Clevenger or Bieber, and the amount of wins that they might be able to get, or you know, for Brad Hand, the number of saves they're going to get? So, a lot of really interesting implications. I think all in all, I think it's it's fine. I don't expect Kluber to be very good this year.
1: Yeah, when it comes to the uh, the Indian side of it, I think what I've heard from many is the reason that they only uh, received a couple of prospects is because the Rangers took all the salary on. The Indians are on a full salary dump. I'm not exactly sure why they went to the World Series a few years ago. Money's good. Uh, I don't. I don't know. They're trying to trade Lindor, but like right now, if you look at roster resources, Lindor, Mercado, Carlos Santana, Jose Ramirez, Framil Reyes. Okay, not bad. Jake Bowers, Greg Allen, Roberto Perez playing shortstop, or no, playing catcher, and Christian Arroyo playing second base. It is bad, and then the the bench is Sandy Leone, Andrew Vasquez, Leonard Shields, and Jordan Luplo. If they trade Lindor, my goodness, it's going to be bad. Like the pitching staff still very good: Clevenger, Bieber, Carrasco, Savale, Plissac. I don't, I don't mind that at all. The class A thing, like I saw, I saw tweets that um, the average bullpen velocity for the the Indians last year was ninety point like six miles an hour. average averages like ninety nine point three or something. Mm-hmm. So yeah. he'll he'll really help that out. But it depends on who you, who you listen to. Some people love him. Some people don't. Like um, I, before the season started, I thought he had a chance to save some games for the Rangers. I don't know if he'll save a ton from Brad Hand, but uh, we'll have to wait and see on that one. On the Klubot side of things, I like him. I agree with what you said. The velocity is a concern. You know, from two thousand fourteen to two thousand eighteen, he threw over two hundred and three innings in every season, all five seasons. But last year with all the injuries, only thirty-five. So we'll have to see what his workload is uh next year. And Streamer doesn't, you know, isn't really big on him. A four two O ERA, four hundred nine FIP. Uh they're a little concerned with the Klubot as well, a four one four X fip Uh that is a little 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 concerning. I was hoping for a little bit better there from the Clue bot. They even have him at a twenty four percent strikeout rate, which isn't bad. So 1.4 okay. home run. <clears throat> yeah. Th- yeah 1.4 home run. That's not nine. good at all.
0: Yeah, they're worried about the contact yeah. too.
1: Yeah, that's not good at all. And uh he's going pick 89 or so in the NFC, which is a little little steep for that kind of profile. You can find that that profile at different time. So, I guess wait and see. Maybe spring training we see something we we like. I'm not sure, but uh going to be interesting. I, I like the, the deal for both sides. I'm glad the Rangers are making moves and, and kind of building their team up there, make it at least interesting for their new ballpark. But it, it is quite uh, the conundrum. And I would love to shield the irregular playing time, but I just I don't know what the Indians are doing. I have no clue. No clue at all. All right. New York Mets, they bring back a, a hometown boy. Rick Porcello from New Jersey at his press conference on Monday, basically weeping about how much it means to him to be a New York Met, and he's been a Met fan his whole life. One year, $10 million deal. Uh, interesting move because it makes you wonder when we talk about the next guy they signed, are they getting rid of somebody? Is Thor finally getting traded? But what's your thoughts of Rick Porcello going to New York, uh, you know, nationally East, leaving the AL East could be interesting. Yeah. I mean, Bubba, it's so painful to hear that
0: <laughs> Rick Porcello has been a, a a lifelong Mets fan. What is that like? Mm-hmm. Ah, the suffering. Yeah, it's painful. My god, no, I'm just kidding. I love the Mets, I love all Mets fans. That was just a special shout out for all my Mets friends out there. Uh, Purcello is just like the blandest pitcher I could possibly think of. Like, I when I was looking over his profile, I was just like, How on earth did this guy win the Cy Young Award over Justin Verlander? I was looking C- at Kate that Upton, P- Kate Upton
1: still asking all oh, about that. Man, be worried.
0: I looked up, man, I was looking at his K's per nine, was like 7.3 that year. I mean, Porcello, like, the good, the benefit of Porcello is he's got really good control. He doesn't walk a lot of guys. He's got a very low walk rate. The counter to that is that he also has a very low strikeout rate, so he gives up a ton of contact. Um, I think overall, like, he's, yeah, he's, like, the most boring signing you could possibly have. Like, just pencil him in for, like, a 4-5-ish, you know, ERA with maybe, like, a 1-3 whip or something like that. Um, and I think that's kind of Porcello. I don't think there's much ceiling, um, even though he did have that Cy Young, uh, award season, I think that's, uh, very clearly the outlier from all other seasons. Um, and so I think that's probably what you're going to get. Yeah. And that's what steamer says too. four, six, three, one, three, one whip, you know, not eight, eight strikeouts per nine. Um, so very boring, not really a fantasy commodity that I am. Uh, interested in at all because i think even going very late in drafts there's guys who have higher upside um i mean his highest you know his highest k rate um is 23.5 in 2018 so right around league average um but everything's below that um before and since so uh, no real interest uh from me here how about you
1: i am a little bit because he's going to pick 422 like, he's going extremely late, right next to guys like Brad Keller, Jordan Montgomery, Zach Davies. I still think he's better than them, but it's, it is it is dicey. I get it. It's, it, it's uh, Rick Porcello. It's nothing sexy at all. He goes through streaks. I remember with, with the Red Sox, he'd have runs where he'd just be really, really good, and then he'd have runs where he's pitching batting practice. And it was very, very tilting. Now, maybe in the National League, it, it'll be different. We'll see. Uh, last year, not so much, but in years previous, it seemed like he was a good innings eater at times. So, 31 years old, could be interesting. He's not asked to do a ton because he's the fifth man in the rotation. They got him behind DeGrom, Syndergaard, Stroman, and Matt, so he's not the you know, the, the two or three, which he kind of was at Boston at times, depending on when Price was around because he was hurt or sale. They relied on Porcello to, to make his starts and eat his innings. Now he might not have to as much. So, uh, we'll, we'll see how that goes. It could be real interesting. The Mets also brought in Michael Walker, and this is why it gets interesting because roster resource has him in the bullpen because I just listed you the starting rotation, but Michael Walker flat out said in his press conferences that I only signed with the Mets because they told me I'd be a starting pitcher. So I'm not good with math here, but that would mean they'd have six starting pitchers and one's got to go. So this gets interesting. What's your thoughts on Michael Walker? Because he had a disastrous season in 2019. Like personally, I want nothing to do with him. But do you have any interest if he makes the rotation?
0: No interest in Waka at all. Um, He's like Porcello, except with a bad walk rate. (laughs) He's like Rick Porcello, who has no control. He's never had a swinging strike rate over 10% for a full season. The last two years, he's had above-league average walk rates with below-league average strikeout rates. Um, He's awful. So I don't really see any semblance of interest or reason to be interested in michael walk at
1: all No, nope, totally agree with you there uh let's go over to the brew crew you hinted at it earlier on the pod Aversil garcia a guy that i know mm. we both like quite a bit uh sneaky mm. sneaky fa- fast big guy uh he's a, he's yeah. a sn- sneaky sneaky good ball player hits the living not out of the baseball he's right now the 74th outfielder off the board picked 281 on nfbc's and the brew crew to a two-year deal and he's projected to uh bat fifth and play left field for the crew. Why Ryan Braun plays first base. So as long as they don't get goofy and pick up a first baseman, I imagine Avisel is going to see regular playing time. That's a heck of a fit. this, this Brewers team is many weird things as they keep doing this off season. It's kind of rounding out a little bit. What's your thoughts on this?
0: Yeah, I love it. I, I've been a Garcia fan for a while, um, at least in non OBP leagues. <laughs> um, you know he uh, he's one of these guys. He's got the his profile is he swings at a lot of pitches. Um, he doesn't make a ton of contact, but because he swings at so many pitches, the K rate isn't astronomical. Like with his contact rates, you'd, you'd expect the K rate to be a lot higher, but he's just so aggressive that he doesn't get into a lot of two strike counts uh, to actually strike out. I mean, he still strikes out above league average, but down to twenty three point six percent. I mean, over the last uh, five years, hard hit rate, 29.1, 34.3, 35.3, 38.2, 40.1, always improving. Look at his ground ball rate, 55%, 52%, 48%, 46%. Ground ball rate going down, hitting the ball more in, uh, in the air more. Um, his barrel rate, uh, Max fries had a, had a nice uh, little tweet earlier today where he was pointing out that ground ball rate uh, decreasing at the same time that his barrel rate is increasing he makes really good contact if you go to his stat cast page uh, everything is at least pink uh a lot of it is red he's in the 90th percentile in terms of sprint speed he's going to a team that likes to to steal and i think one thing that i really like is that uh in terms of park factors miller park for lefties is like you know Coors Coors field light and the thing about avasale is that he hits home runs and he hits with power to all fields, including to right field. And I think you might see him hitting a ton of home runs uh, to right center um, next year because he—that that is going to be a place where he can really thrive. And so I like it a lot. I think he's a guy who can be plus average. His steamer projection is 273. They have him at 23 home runs, seven stolen bases. And he's going pretty late in drafts. I think probably in the late 200s. Yeah, um,
1: 281.
0: Yeah, 281. So a lot to like there. I think um, for me uh, with the Brewers, he should have pretty consistent playing time. Um, I like it. I like it all around, and um, he's a player I've liked for a long time. And maybe this is the season and the and the environment where he's able to put it all together.
1: Yep, uh, I love it. I absolutely love it. I've been a big fan of his, so uh, I'll be all over that at that point in time. When you look at other outfielders, you got David Peralta, Hunter Renfro, Domingo Santana right before him. Right after him, Trent Grisham, Mark Connor, Randall Grichik, a lot of good options there with mm-hmm. pros and cons. Advil is like the most balanced guy right there, so I, I really, really like what uh, what the Brew Crew did with that one. Uh, let's have a little fun with this when they bring in another starting pitcher because they they always have a messed up rotation, but they picked up Josh Lindblom from uh, the Korea League. He used to pitch for the Pirates, uh, goes to Korea. Is the next kind of you know Merrill Kelly and these type of guys. Really worked on his pitch mix, developed a few things. ERA uh, 2.5 last year, 2.88 eight the year before. Obviously, it's a little different than the bigs, but still 194 innings last year. Not a massive strikeout guy by any means. That's something to keep in mind. Well, he got about close to a K per inning, so that's not too bad. But showed some really, really good stuff in the KBO last year. Gets paid by the Brew Crew, and uh, he could be a nice late-round flyer. We'll, we'll have to see how the info keeps changing on him as you know spring training and everything comes along but right now he's 229th pitcher off the board I picked 568 so he's really not getting drafted he seems like a good dart to me I'd imagine that starts to climb some more he's got as high as 332 as low as 738 so uh, what's your thoughts on Josh Lindblom with the brew crew Uh,
0: yeah I mean I, it's hard to get past the steamer projection for him um, that's the one thing that stands out to me. Rob Silver tweeted out a picture Just of the, the, yeah. the Family Guy. The Family Guy, uh, uh, everybody vomiting in the in the in the living room, which is kind of like now the image that is always going to be forever etched into my mind with him. But yeah, it's hard to get over that like five five uh, ERA, one four three WHIP with seven Ks per nine. Uh, that steamer is giving him obviously. Like there's been some success stories. Miles Mikolas. Um, and then uh, Merrill Kelly was sort of successful towards the end of last year. I like him I'm heading into this year with the velo up a little bit. Um, I don't really know much to uh, enough to uh, fight with Steamer over the projection. So at this point in time, I'm not interested. And in, I'll be looking for content to read and uh, things to learn about Limbomb. That makes me somewhat interested. Uh, the fact that the Brewers have a decent you know, track record when it comes to turning uh, mediocre pitchers into decent fantasy assets. You know, I'm at least interested for that reason, but I don't know, you, you have any interest at looking past that steamer projection or is that what stands out to you?
1: Yeah, I'll look, I'll look past it because I'll treat him the way I treated Merrill Kelly last year. I had him in almost every league. I should have put him on the list to talk about later. I totally forgot about it, but, um, I took him with one of my last picks in almost every draft just to give him a a shot and see how he he pitched. Uh, we we see that especially the first year from the KBO, I, I, at least with Kelly and uh, Mikolas, he seemed to really throw pretty well. Mikolas had a little rough second go around, but uh, figured it out towards the end. I don't mind him at all. I know I need to reread it some more because it's super super smart for me, so it takes a couple readings. But uh, Eno wrote a nice article on him and, and had some really good things to point out about his uh, pitch mix. I think he has a really good slider. He was talking about, and I know him and DVR on the barrel. Uh, Rates and Barrels podcast talked about him this past week. So uh, they, they like some things they see there. Obviously, he's not going to be an ace right out the gate, but uh, not a bad guy to take with one of your last picks, and he could always drop. So I, I will take chances because with, with those last picks, I'll I'll at least take a guy that's got the job over those some of those other guys that are uh, sitting around him at that point in the draft. Mm. Um, another guy the Brew Crew picked up, Brett Anderson, who actually had a really sneaky good season with the ace. Some of his numbers will tell you he got lucky but a uh, sneaky good season for Brett Anderson's, uh, standards, not a big strikeout guy, but he got the job done, ate a lot of innings for the A's and uh, had a very good, uh, ERA, but the ballpark might've helped him a little bit. Going to Milwaukee might not be the same thing. This one, like I'd rather take a chance on Limbaugh than, uh, Brett Anderson, but what's your take on Brett Anderson?
0: Yeah. I mean, 90 strikeouts in 176 inning innings is, is pretty brutal right there. Um, yeah, not much interest in Anderson. There isn't much um ceiling. I mean, he's not going to get UKs. He you know, he had a 128 whip in 2018, but that's the lowest it's been since 2013, so you're not really getting the ratio help that much. ERA has not been great either. I mean, 3.89 this past year, but that's playing in Oakland, um, you know, strikeout rate. Uh, Just not a lot here to interest me at
1: all. Yeah, it's it's a tough one to to get behind. Not going to even sugarcoat that one. It's going to be ugly, but uh, maybe a random stream here and there. But there's no strikeouts, and I want strikeouts. So I I get really picky when it comes to that type of deal. Talking about another arm here, Wade Miley, two-year deal, 12 mil, to go to the Great American Small Park in Cincinnati. They got him penciled in to be the fourth starter on roster resource we saw wade have a really good second half of the season i mean first half of the season second half was rocky as all get up but you never know like you look at his numbers uh before september wade um wade had a 306 era and 156 innings. in september alone he gave up 21 runs in 11 innings so it really inflated things quite a bit I don't know what went wrong. Hopefully they can fix it. He could be interesting, but I'm still very terrified. What's your thoughts on Miley in Cincinnati? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I,
0: it's interesting just because of what Cincinnati is doing and who they've got with the driveline folks. Um, and they clearly see something with him, um, you know, uh, to be willing to go there. When you look at his what, uh, expected WOBA from last year, 304 is, is decent. Um, so that's something to hold on to from a fantasy perspective. It's tough, you know, even, uh, you know, in that great half season he had with the Brewers, his K rate was only 15%. Uh, percent. Last year it was uh, slightly above 19%. There's just not a ton to really like. I mean, the one season where he did serviceably well in 2018 he had a 0.33 home runs per nine, which doesn't jive with the rest of his career or seems super sustainable. So, again, like, you know, Steamer has him at a 4.53 ERA, a 1.44 whip. Um, you know, that's not really something I want on my fantasy team, but it's not the worst line I think we've talked about. So there's, you know, a, at least a, a little tiny bit of interest, but mostly... Like you've mentioned with other guys, that as as a guy that I might be looking to stream, or as a very very late pick, um, you know, and just hoping that uh, the drive line guys in Cincinnati see something that they can um, that they can turn into gold.
1: That's the big kicker. I think the guys that are there in Cincinnati that can help him out could go a long way. Because we saw when he went to Houston, he was he was actually good until like something just went wrong that last month. I have no clue what it is. If they they would have fixed it. They couldn't. It was disgusting. And I know, like I remember Modica and a bunch of little guys that were deep in the NFCs. Maybe I, I don't think you owned them, but I think some others. That some of those starts where he like didn't even get an out or got one out and gave up like nine runs, and just the the disaster he caused to fantasy teams in that last month was was disgusting. But um hey, you live and die with guys like Wade Miley. That's kind of how that that show works.
0: Uh The Rays.
1: They made another interesting uh, move here as they've been kind of active. And I'm going to apologize out of time. They signed Japanese player Yoshitomo Sutsugo. I tried. I really did. Uh, Sutsugo. I, I have no out. idea if I got that right. Um, so they, they signed him to a couple-year deal. This guy was one of the heralded bats coming over from Japan. Uh, 28 or more home runs in four straight years. He's hit 20 or more in every year since fourteen. Uh, he comes with a, a like a three hundred type bat, two eighty to three hundred average. Really good pop, little bit of speed, not a ton of speed actually. But he's going to get you four other categories, and he's really really interesting when you look at. Um, well, I'm looking at the wrong thing, but uh, you look at some comparisons because I was in a, a discussion with some people the other day, and his comparisons. If you take if if you don't worry about the steals category, it looks a lot like say a a. a, a Danny Santana from the the Rangers, or even a Trey Mancini in some way. So I don't know if that sways your opinion at all or anything. And right now he's the 97th outfielder off the board in the FPCs, a pick 364. So what's your take on this? Because this can be interesting as long as the Rays don't go Rays on us.
0: Yeah, you know, um, trying to analyze, um, you know, the show. Well, I don't. Re- is it naked and alone or naked and afraid? What's the naked show and called? afraid? Naked, naked and, and afraid, friend, yeah. I feel like analyzing these guys, I feel naked and afraid because I normally have <laughs> my, like, fangraphs. Yeah, <laughs> fangraphs does not have a page to, for again. him I don't even have a page for him yet. Yeah. I don't even have a steamer projection to go off of. You know, I, I'm sure StackCast doesn't have anything on him. You know, like, I mean, the thing that he has going in his favor um, is that he's with the Rays, and I kind of blindly trust them uh, to be good um, talent evaluators, and they've clearly identified him. Willing to go to two years. I mean, it's not a massive deal. What is it? Two years, twelve million.
1: Yeah, it's so, not bad at all.
0: So there's not a ton of risk involved, but um, you know they're obviously going after him and they're signing him to a big league deal, and so uh, I assume that they see something in him. You know, he seems pretty powerful. Um, so yeah, so I'm just naked and afraid over here. Just hoping and waiting for Fangraph's player pledges play to come up. Uh, obviously, there are a lot of people out there who have a really good read, um, who can provide better insight on um, folks who uh, I just have no clue about and I'm not going to pretend to.
1: Yeah, the Athletics had some good articles on him that uh, could help you get an idea on him. And in NPCs, like right behind him is Brandon Nemo, Ian Happ. I'd rather give you Happ a gamble, at least I know what he's doing. Um, you got guys like Manny Margot, Mike Talkman when it comes to outfielders that are interesting. But the thing that concerns me with the Rays is because they haven't penciled in the DH, G-Man Choi at first base. So my passion of Nate Lowe just gets destroyed again. <laughs> like, this is ridiculous. Um, you look at the bench, you still have Wendell, Robertson, and Brosu on the bench. We know they like to the platoon, like, positions in the outfield. DH isn't, like, you saw Hunter Renfro in the outfield. You know, they could put Yoshi Timo in the outfield against a uh, Righties and, and rest Renfro. There's so many weird ways they can go about this. So I know they paid him. So I'm imagining they'll play him pretty consistently. It's just always a slight concern in the back of my mind with the Rays and just not the biggest thing is it just blocks Nate Lowe yet again. And it's yeah. very just trade just trade the kid if you're not going to play him, trade him. Just come on now, let's go. But uh, that's another podcast. That's the Yancey Eaton podcast. Yeah. um The Los Angeles Dodgers made a move that I was I was very I ex- I'm. I thought they should have made, it, and I'm glad they made it if I was a Dodgers fan. I'd be glad they made it. They signed Blake Trinan in one year, $10 million. Talked about him before. he His stuff was still very, very good. His control was just dreadful. Uh, and now he's not going to be the closer. He got Jansen, Baez, Kelly, Trinan, and others. I wouldn't be shocked if Trinan gets a lot of shots because I think I mentioned it on the relief pitcher one here or not, but Baez and Kelly, they combined I think for close to 10 saves or more last year with Jansen getting worn down more and more. So I think Trinan could slide into that eighth inning role and sneak in some saves. And if Jansen gets hurt, Trinan could jump into the closers role. I think he's a good draft champions type guy. But uh, I like the move a lot for the Dodgers. What's your thoughts on Trinan to the Dodgers? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a good
0: low-risk, high-reward move for the Dodgers for the season. Um, Trinan, I think the key for him is going to be health. I think last year he clearly wasn't healthy. His velocity was down. He had the worst control issues of his entire career. He obviously spent time uh, on the IL as well. And so, really, it's a matter of health, I think. And they're banking on him being healthy again. I think if he's healthy, he'll be a really solid addition uh, to their team. Um, if he's not healthy, then you know it's ten million dollars, but um, it's just a one year. It's just a one year contract, and I think for Trinan, it's a great deal he goes to a winner. He, I agree with you. I think he will have high leverage situations if he pitches well, and then he'll be set uh, to go as a, you know, still just uh, a 32 year old next year in free agency. But from a fantasy perspective, I think, you know, he'd, he'd be the guy that I'd be handcuffing to Jansen who is no sure thing anymore. And so, um, you know, it's, it's a really interesting move. Again, I think it's all about health and if he's healthy, I think he should be really good.
1: Agreed, agreed, agreed. A couple of Red Sox moves uh, might not have a ton of fantasy impact, but you, Jose you're Peraza, just including it because it, it's Jose Peraza. Yeah, yes, and then the next one too. But uh, okay. Jose Peraza gets signed by the Red Sox. A couple things: he's slated to be their starting second baseman with the Pedroya issues and Brock Holt being gone, which is an end of an era in itself in Boston. But uh, you know, in this in this lineup, they'll still be be popping. He'll be batting ninth for the Red Sox. It could be super risky, but do you have any hope that maybe he gets something rekindled here and worth the late round flyer?
0: Yeah, I definitely think he's um, uh, he's worthy of a of a late round flyer, especially if he's getting regular at bats um, from a stolen base perspective. Um, you know, he still got that speed that didn't go anywhere, and he w- he was terrible uh, this past year. But again, we forget very quickly that he's coming off a two eighty eight. 14 home runs and 23 stolen bases in 2018. So that's what he's been able to do. Very low risk move for the Red Sox. If it doesn't work out, they've also got uh, Michael Chavis. I know, although he, he may be playing some first base as well. So um, yeah, definitely worth a flyer if you're if you're shallow on stolen bases and you know you want to see what he can do. It's uh, it's still a really good lineup. They haven't lost any of those key pieces. And if he's batting ninth in that lineup, that means that he's got some hefty hitters going after him and could score runs, mm-hmm. run. So, um, you know, definitely a, a kind of low risk piece, both in real life and in fantasy context, he still makes a ton of contact, you know, 14.4% uh, strikeout rate, uh, you know, 85.4% contact rate, which is almost 10% higher than league average, even increased his hard hit rate last year. And who knows, like I, I have not seen, peraza play enough to know this or not but who knows he's going to be playing uh against the monster and you don't have to have a ton of pop mm-hmm. to get it over there so it may help him a little bit in the home run department at least when he's playing at home so interesting interesting signing interesting guy he's, uh, he's not a great real baseball player as far as i'm concerned but um we'll see it's it's one of those buy super low opportunities which which could uh, could definitely benefit fantasy owners
1: yeah, it could benefit in a big, big way just because, like you said, in that offense, batting ninth, he's not going to be asked to do a lot. Just get on base, then run and score because they're going to drive you in like crazy. So it could be a really interesting position to be in. He's going to pick 430 right now on MFPCs, outfield, second base, shortstop eligibility. So you, you could do worse. Let's put it that way. That's like you could crazy. definitely do worse. Um, so I, I don't hate it at all. The last bit of information here that, uh, this one kind of surprised me. I get that he had a good start to last year, but it got ugly in a hurry. And leaving the AL Central to go to the, uh, the AL East would terrify me a bit. They signed Martin Perez. He's a 278th pitcher off the board right now, Pick 673. I want nothing to do with him. Tell me I'm wrong or do you agree?
0: No, I agree. Um, I have no interest in him. Like when his velo was up at the beginning of the season, um, he pitched a little better, but it seemed like batters figured him out. I know he had really bad, um, at least if Twitter's correct, the tweet that I read, um, just really bad. Uh, even like second time through the order, I want to say he was pretty bad. Um, and so let's see. Uh, I have it right in front of me right here. Um, if only I could find the ERA. Second time through the order, a six ninety five ERA. Second time through the order, <laughs> uh, that's, so, not gonna, that's not going to that's not going to cut in, it in fifty five innings. The one thing I could see them considering would be and again, and um, uh, mm-hmm. let's see who what what's their rotation right now. Let me just give myself. Uh, a I just
1: right had it. I have it right thing. here. It's uh, Chris Sale, Eduardo Rodriguez, David Price, Eovaldi, and Martin Perez. Not a bad first four.
0: Yeah, you know, what I could see them doing, actually, with Perez would be having him be an opener. Yes,
1: yeah, so that's um, great You know,
0: play. first time through the order, 62 innings pitch, 318 ERA, um, and, um, you know, the, the K-minus walk is not is still pretty poor, but that could be an interesting scenario, deploying him against, like, a lefty-heavy lineup, for instance, um, at the top of the order, something like that. Could be an interesting way for them um, to go, but again, uh, yeah, two hundred and sixty WOBA versus left-handed pitchers, so maybe they're seeing him in that in that you know that particular role, or maybe he's a long guy out of the bullpen, or maybe he takes on you know lefties in the lineup, you know, and and can go a full inning. They know. Um so it'll be interesting to see where he ends up. I could see him being interesting not from a fantasy perspective, I guess the real baseball perspective out of the bullpen um or as an opener, but there's not a lot of fa- fantasy value there at all.
1: Yeah, not really. It's weird looking at the Red Sox uh David Price, you know they are shopping him around. If he starts the year, then they have four lefties in the starting rotation. So the 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 Yankees, I think they have a lot of power righties that might enjoy seeing the Red Sox this year. Oh yeah. Be quite quite interesting. But that wraps up our news for now, as it's just busy, busy. There's rumors that Josh Donaldson might like, get signed by the Nats and so many more things. So we'll that have would more be, for you guys. That would be Wild. nice. Wild. It's yeah. interesting. Like I, we could have a whole discussion on that on next podcast because they're offering him four years, like ninety million. I heard, and that takes him to age thirty-eight. I'm really wondering, like, because that per year is pretty darn close. I think, or not? It, it's in the ballpark of the Rendon. Makes mm. you wonder a little bit. So yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. But uh, let's go ahead. We'll wrap up our final position recap, starting pitchers. Toby, what were your thoughts on the starting pitchers as a whole on last season?
0: Yeah, I mean, heading into last season, I I am, uh, I guess, one of the things that I talk about a lot, um, sometimes on this podcast, also on Twitter, and just in general, is just I'm a firm believer in drafting aces and so heading into this year that was kind of my uh my focus was on 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 getting those aces i feel like last year there was a little bit uh if the the ace level felt a little deeper like that top of the ace level like this year it feels like for me at least there's three maybe four guys there depending on health um and that is um obviously uh, Degrom, Cole, and Verlander; those are the three that I feel really comfortable with having as my kind of ace and go-to. This past uh, drafting season, I feel like there was there was more, like it was it was a little bit deeper, um, that I felt uh, good about drafting. But um, I believe deeply in the aces. I think that there's research that shows that your best chance of getting return on investment is those aces. Ariel Cohen. Um, of the TGFBI podcast and of uh, Rotographs uh, did an excellent article last year highlighting that point. And I just think aces can have such a dramatic impact. You obviously only have nine uh, pitchers on your team versus 14 hitters. Uh, They also pitch so much volume that if you can get a guy who pitches a ton of volume, gets you Ks, gets you volume and ratios, and hopefully gets you some wins, it can really set your pitching staff just as a whole um it can set it up really really nicely and so that's what i deployed this year um to mixed you know a real mixed bag um you know i i did draft chris sale and uh trevor bauer uh which are two of my two of my misses from this past year on one uh, particular team so that didn't end up well but overall like my pitching uh did really really well this past year um and then i i like to skip over kind of the um I know that I think it's uh, Justin and Paul Spore like to call it the, the glob. glob. Yeah, but kind of for me, it starts after starting pitcher 18 this year for me and kind of goes for a little while. And those are just guys who, yeah, there's some good signs. They might've pitched well last year, but I don't see enough to necessarily want to spend a ton of draft capital on them compared to some of their some of the guys who are going later on. Like a good example in, in a draft I just had um, you know, I started off with um, with Verlander and then I went Bieber. Um, and then I didn't draft another pitcher until I got Matt Boyd um, in round like 12 or something like that or round 11 or something like that. But when I look at Matt Boyd and I look at what, at what he was able to achieve last year um, and then I look at some of the other guys going there, I just don't see enough of a difference between him, you know, and, and some of the other guys. So I think I'm going to take a similar strategy this year. Where I love getting like two aces, two of those top 18 starting pitchers, um, and then and then kind of punting starting pitching for a little while, and then coming back with some of the guys that I like, I like a lot. I know, um, you know, uh, yeah. So that's kind of been that's kind of been my approach the last couple of years. I think I'm more pitcher heavy than than most people like to at least early on in drafts, but it's something that I've found to be successful um, in the past, and so I'm kind of sticking with it.
1: No, you've uh, you've nailed pitching uh, from that respect quite a bit. I've, every year I become more and more pitching favored. I still haven't gone all in like you have, but it wasn't too long ago, which I wouldn't take a pitcher for seven or eight rounds. So I was pretty hardcore on that. Now it's I kind of want to get two to three really good arms by the fifth or sixth round. Like I don't make it a point to get them right away. I kind of see how the draft goes. But there's like 20 to 25 starters that I want two or three of those first 25. And then I can wait for the back end of guys like you're talking about because there's a good group kind of farther back that you can pick and choose from as well, which doesn't bug me. And especially if you get that front end load like you're talking about that gives you the good ratios and gives you the innings and strikeouts and all that stuff you're looking for, it's huge. And it correlates with the relievers we talked about because a reliever has one or two bad starts or bad outings it really you know skews those ratios and everything because their sample size is so much smaller. So you get those those aces that can really – Lock things down like you get a, a Verlander, a Cole, two five ERA, ra ERA, and it just changes everything. If you pick up say a Rick Porcello type for some reason, and I'm not saying you would, but for some reason it kind of balances things out and fills things in elsewhere. So there are lots of ways to go about it. We've seen the landscape keep changing, like you mentioned a few. There was, seemed to be more aces last year, maybe fewer ace aces, but I think there's better depth of good pitchers this time around. Mm-hmm. Could be totally, I could be totally wrong, but uh, like last year, we saw 15 pitchers go 200 innings. 200 innings used to be a norm, and then like in recent years, it kind of seemed like it started disappearing. We saw more of it go deep this past year. We saw uh, at least 30 guys go over 180 innings. So I, it's good to see that still happening, not as quick of hooks for certain guys, but it, it's kind of a team-by-team basis. You know, there's team philosophies of we, we want you to go no more than two, three times through the order, so on and so forth, the openers, all that good stuff. So it's, it's always a different bag. But overall, I think it's it's been fun. There's been crazy depth throughout the year as we see a lot of guys moving and trades and everything recently. But you get those aces locked down. If you hit them, it, it's pretty darn solid. <laughs> All right, let's talk about three guys we got right. I'll let you start it off with a guy out of Texas.
0: Sounds good. Yeah, and one piece, it, it sounds kind of ridiculous to say this is like one of the reasons why I like getting two of those aces, like two of the top 18 starting pitchers. And if I'm honest with you, like I normally go one, two aces in the first two rounds, is almost like an insurance policy because, yes, like the, there is a, a higher likelihood that a pitcher is going to go on, on the injured list than a hitter is. And so there's a little bit more variance there. But really all you need is for one of those two starting pitchers to hit and the other one, the, the floor for the other one, generally speaking, is not atrocious. And like, um, and so for that reason, like if one hits and one is just okay, like you're still in a really good start, uh, position because of the volume. Um, and because like the range of outcomes is so much smaller. Whereas when you get deeper into that, that starting pitcher glob. Like the range of outcomes is pretty is pretty broad yeah. for those guys. And so um, it, it sounds ridiculous to say, oh, my second no. pick in the draft is an insurance policy. But in some ways, it's, it's helping to mitigate that risk of missing time due to the IL or even poor performance. But when that poor performance is bad, generally speaking, and not all the time, but generally speaking, it's not atrocious except for trevor bauer which we'll get to. Yeah.
1: well and, and it's not it's just an insurance policy it's just it's like what i like to talk about with, if you go closers early or say you know you, you get a, a heavy steals guy or a major power guy pile on it make sure you own the position like take like, or that stat category or something like like if you get one good closer go get two like have some of the two best guys and lock it down guarantee yourself you know the saves if you go to get two two aces and say they both stay healthy you're gonna be so far and away on almost everything from everybody else so it's a good way to do it like if you just go one early and kind of give up on it and that guy fate uh, gets hurt you're screwed yeah. so it's insurance like you're saying but it's also if, if it both works you can just lock down so many things so I, I like that strategy. I, I wouldn't like to go just one and walk away that's for sure
0: yeah definitely all right uh, for, so for starting pitchers um, so the first one I have is Mike Miner. Uh, Miner is a guy that um, I owned on nine of my 14 teams last year. Um, he, uh, he was going, I had him as my 75th ranked pitcher. Consensus rankings were, were 83. So there wasn't that much of a difference, but whether it was because he was a guy that just seemed to drop or whatever happened, I was targeting him. What I found particularly interesting about Miner is the second half of 2018, um, he pitched pretty well. He had an increase, uh, some improvement in skills. But what I was super interested in is that he has one of the highest spin rates um, on his fastball um, of any starting pitcher. I think Verlander might have the be the only one that has a higher um uh spin rate. But his but his his fastball is also like three miles per hour slower than Verlander's. So his his uh uh the I don't know if efficiency is the right word, but like the spin rate, uh, the Bauer units are really high for For minor so that was super interesting and he also has a a changeup, which is a really good pitch um, for him and so um, and he started throwing that more towards the end of last year. Um, uh, This year, you know 15.8% swinging strike rate on it, Um, but uh, a pitch that he started throwing more he ditched his slider a little bit, um, which is not as good of a pitch for him, Um, and then uh, he does throw pretty hard for a lefty so. There was a few things that I really liked about, um, about minor, which made me go after him. And, uh, he ended up pitching beyond my uh, wildest imagination. Um, obviously he had that famous 200 strikeouts where they just kind of left him <laughs> in to get them in the end, you know, things weren't like, you know, the whip was one, two, four, but by that point in the season, like I wasn't starting him on the regular, Like it was clear that for whatever reason he wasn't pitching as well, but you own that first half. That first half was absolutely incredible. Nice skills, you know, 15.3% K minus walk rate. So slightly better than league average, Um, but 11.5% on the swinging strike rate. Uh, His, um, you know, control was was a brown league average. So all in all, was very pleased with Miner. He's also been able to suppress his uh, BABIPs, generally speaking. Uh, over the last three years which is an interesting trend so all in all it ended up working out for me I was happy about it um, who was your uh, number one that
1: you uh, that you got right yeah this is an easy one and it's a victory lap that many will take this season Herman Marquez I wanted nothing to do with Herman Marquez I tried to tell people Coors is undefeated just realized that it's going to happen and it happened he got destroyed at home pitched okay on the road but overall, he saw his ERA go from 377 to 476. He threw almost 20, or he's going 22 fewer innings last year. He saw his home run rate go from 1.1 to 1.5, strikeout rate from 28% to 24%. The list goes on and on and on. He, he lowered his block rate. That was good. It just didn't matter because it was just everything getting hit all over the ballpark. It was uh, pretty brutal for Herman Marquez. He was taken super early in drafts. He finished at uh, number forty-eight starting pitcher on Rasball Player Raider, and right now in NFBC draft he's going to pick one seventy-five, the sixty-seventh pitcher off the board. So now it'll get interesting because I can already see the narrative street now is oh well he doesn't cost as much, but uh, I still I'm sorry I I just can't do it I can't take these Coors guys where you literally have to decide do I not start him on a two start week because he has one starting Coors against say the Dodgers. And you don't need that stress in your life. You just really don't. It's not worth it. So um, I, I want nothing to do with him Marquez. He got destroyed this past year. And I can't wait to see people say he's cheaper and do it all over again. So that's the uh-huh. one. That's my number one that got right.
0: And that was one of the ones that I got wrong. I apologize to everybody for that. Um, Coors is undefeated. I will never try to take on Coors ever again. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and, and I think one thing that, well, I'll get to it when I, when I cover Marquez and where I went wrong. Um, but for me, that, that uh, but you were right. You were right. I was wrong. It was painful. <laughs> Thankfully, I only ended up with one share because there was so much hype on it. Oh,
1: um, that's bad for your portfolio.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so for me, uh, the second one I got right was you, Darvish. Um, I had him as pitcher number 24 heading into last year and uh, his consensus ranking was number 34, Um, and Darvish obviously struggled from the get-go. What interested me a lot like during the spring training, and this is one of the things that I'll pay attention to in spring training, is velocity. His velocity was up according to reports, and it ended up being up over the course of the year. He struggled with command to begin with, but one of the reasons why I have him on here is because I, I was high on him to begin with, but then Um, I tweeted on, uh, I think it was May 28th, um, about a three-game stretch that he had where he, you know, his walk rate was down, his strikeout skills were way up. Um, He was just looking really, really good. um, And he was throwing his cutter 40% of the time. Uh, And so from that point forward, we know the story, like, he was absolutely incredible, didn't walk anybody, struck out a ton of guys. The ERA was ended up being solid for the second half, but he did struggle a little bit with giving up home runs uh, across the course of the full season. So it's not like I think he's a sure thing heading into next year. But so I think uh, because, you know, I was on him uh, early on in the season and then also, um, you know, uh, kind of pushed people to trade for him and or, Acquire him, or in some cases in shallower leagues, people probably dropped him, pick him up. Um, uh, right when he started to turn it around, I have him as as my number two in terms of the pitchers that I was I was right about. Who's your uh,
1: number two? Yeah, that Darvish call is really nice, and uh, I really want to try to get some stakes of him this, this year, but uh, his name's getting talked about quite a bit. So yeah. that's going to be a, an expensive price tag, I think, by the time draft time for me comes around. Uh, My number two is Eduardo Rodriguez. It's the guy I've been such a huge fan of in recent years. Like DFS circles, the guy's stuff is so good. Like He used to just be great for DFS because he always had that blow-up possibility. He finally started putting it together last year. The kid's talent, his skill set is great. It was always the control with him. It was just crazy, uh, the control that he he, he brought to the mound. We saw his uh, K rate actually went up from 8.1 to 8.7. But we've seen it in previous years, like in the minors, he had double-digit K rates. It was brutal. Uh, his strikeout rate even dropped from 26 to 24, but he just got the job done. Uh, he went deep into games. He was one of those 280 pitch guys on in 203 innings. That was a quite the jump because he went 137 combined last year in tri- uh, A and the bigs. So we'll have to pay attention to that to see where that goes. But Steamer has him for 193 innings, a 419 ERA, which – Higher than la, the last two years in in Boston, so I'm kind of surprised by that. Not sure I buy into that a ton. He was a 19th uh, rated pitcher off the board. I loved him because he was in that glob or not glob, but that threesome last year was Bieber, Eduardo, and Pavetta, and everyone loved Pavetta. Then everyone loved Bieber. Not like everybody, always, Baba. Not everybody. Okay, a lot, a lot. It seemed like it seemed like Eduardo was like the third man in that threesome. So mm. it it, it, was, it was really weird. I was I was a big fan of his. Uh Bieber, we'll talk about him later because I got him wrong. But uh, I was a huge fan of Eduardo. He's the 46th pitcher off the board right now. He's one of those four lefties we talked about in the Boston rotation. And I think he's just going to keep getting better because the kid is still super young. He's 26. He'll be 27 in April. So around opening day, 27 years old. Gets to pick the, mind, uh, the minds in the, of uh, you know sale and, and company. I like him to keep improving. The only thing I'm, I'm curious about is that increase of innings. That was a huge jump. He has never been really close to two hundred three before, so we'll have to keep an eye on that. But I'm a big Eduardo fan, and he paid off nicely last season.
0: Definitely, yeah, and really towards the end of the year, um, at least from a skill perspective, he he was looking uh, really nice. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, good call there for sure. Um, uh, number three uh, for me that I got right. I actually put three guys here. I apologize in advance. <laughs> <laughs> but I, uh, I had uh like you've all learned, I like to talk, but I had Clevenger ranked as my number 13 starting pitcher last year. Um, and the consensus was 19. Uh, and so he obviously didn't work out like from a full season perspective. But when you look at the jump that he made, I mean, right now he's like the sixth or seventh pitcher off starting pitcher off the board in, in a lot of NFPC drafts going before pick 20 in a lot of instances. Um you know the the skill growth was something that I that I I saw because of the two really good uh, off-speed pitches he has. Um, I think it's a curveball and a slider for him. I don't have it in front of me, but um, just at two outstanding secondary offerings, which is kind of the staple for Cleveland pitchers, right? It's like Clevenger, it's Carrasco, it's um, it's Bieber. Like they all have great secondary pitches. Um, and that's the gets me to the other person who is Kluber. I had him as my 11th-ranked starting pitcher. I didn't own him anywhere, and he was the consensus number six. And then you mentioned everybody being in on Nick Pavetta, but let me tell you something. I was not in on Nick Pavetta. Nice. I had Nick Pavetta as my number 73 starting pitcher. In consensus wow. rankings, he was 37. One of my bold predictions was that he would finish outside the top 75 starting pitchers, and outside of the Phillies rotation by the end of the year, and mm-hmm. let me tell you something—I nailed it. Yes, I you nailed did. it. Now I may have missed on Bieber, although I wasn't as down on Bieber as Pavetta, but I nailed it on Pavetta. So all you people who were loving on Pavetta—you messed up.
1: <laughs> no, all I love right, it. I'm done. Who's your who's your number three, Baba? I love it. My number three is Noah Syndergaard, and this one's. It's just a tilt fest for me because in the end, he gave you 197 innings, which was way more than I thought. When you look at 154 injuries, 183, 150, one like he never really. Only one time he got you close to the promised land, but you look at his numbers in the past. It was like okay, 27 percent strikeout, 24, 24 and a half, just kept dropping the strike. Uh, the walks about six percent. The long ball, he dropped. Uh, he went from 0. 0.52 home runs per nine to 1.1. 1. 1. It, it's just, it was just a weird year. One or 4.28 ERA, 3.83 three xFIP. I guess the biggest thing I can say is it wasn't a horrific year because he got you a lot of counting stats. The ERA got you a bit, but what his price was is why I argued last year. I don't want Noah Center guard. Now this year, I'll be a little more receptive. He's the 24th pitcher off the board about pick 73. I'd rather have you Darvish right before him. But like after him, it's Shohei Otani, Trevor Bauer, Corey Kluber. I'll take Noah Syndergaard all day long. I'll take that gamble all day long. So it'll be interesting because he, he was going around, I want to say, like a top 10 pitcher last year where now he's number 24. So now he's a lot more in that reasonable world with me. And we've talked about on this show, We talked about other places like Nick Pollock, does it the best. He wrote a big article on it. Like I think last year, him and Sport talk about it all the time. The pitch mix, it, it's just ridiculous. He doesn't, have, he doesn't have that strikeout instinct, it feels like. He gets up on guys 0-2 with filth, and then he starts trying to like locate fastballs and grooves it in, and it gets hit too hard. It's really mm-hmm. tilting with a guy like Noah Sundergaard. He finished 45th on the Ras Player Raider at starting pitcher last year behind guys like uh, Ryan Yarborough, Dakota Hudson, John Means, Brandon Woodruff. So it was a rough year overall when it came to fantasy value for Noah Centerguard. I think this, I think 2020 could be a nice season coming up, so I'll be I'll be taking the value on Noah, but I'm glad I missed it last year. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's that sinker. I don't know why yeah. he throws it. So
0: damn. And he lot. loves to throw it
1: with two strikes. It
0: makes no sense. He throws it all the time and like I mean, he's got three pitches with 15% plus swinging strike rates. His change, his slider, his curveball, he you know what really kind of struck me? I was looking. I saw on um, on Twitter today is um, uh, Wheeler Zach Wheeler. He signed with the Phillies, and one of the things that mm. he said in the interview—did you see this one? Where he said he I, said the analytics department of the Phillies was one of the yes. reasons he chose to go there. And he was saying that yep. he, that that they were telling him that he has a little bit of coal in him, but that he needs to start throwing yep. the four seam fastball up instead of down mm-hmm. and he had a comment about how you know the mets weren't able to it was just something about the way they communicated to him where they mm-hmm. weren't able to essentially translate that to him in a way that was meaningful for him and i was just mm-hmm. like you've got to be kidding me like this is should be basic stuff and like yes. the mets with like the pitching staff that staff that they have you expect them to be good but it's just they have this, like, um, incredible amount of talent, you know, that's just, like, sitting there. And it's, like, Cindergard seems like a guy who, you know, whether he needs to go somewhere else or, or somebody needs to be able to translate to him not to throw that sinker so damn much. Like, there's really – there's no reason he should be throwing that. Like, from his four-seam mm-hmm. fastball, like, there's just – there's, like, I cannot see a single reason. His sinker has a worse – woba it has like a worse swinging strike rate like there's nothing he can he doesn't throw it in the zone as much like there's nothing that that there's no reason why you should be throwing that pitch and so maybe he just needs to go somewhere else to really be able to tap into that but i think you're definitely on to something where he could just have one of those years just by making a slight tweak you know it's just a
1: minor adjustment because the stuff's so darn good he's still young uh he showed durability it's just crazy. Like the stuff Wheeler said, we've heard a lot of guys say that. In in 30, like like Luke Weaver goes and buys his own Soto and learns how to pitch with Arizona. We talked about all the guys that go to Houston. All these, like, you know, Cincinnati's doing things with drive Line now. We saw what happened with Sonny Gray. He talked about how the Yankees didn't like, wanted to throw a stupid slider so many times when he didn't like to throw a slider. Like, you look at all these teams, and you got you just mentioned all those stats. Anybody that listens to any show, Nick Pollock's on. Nick Pollock could probably teach half the league how to take care of their pitchers. He, he, the first thing he thought because he was worried about Philadelphia was he, he didn't think they'd let him throw his high fastball enough with Zach Wheeler. Now mm-hmm. hearing that, Nick Pollock's probably like all oh, giddy because he mm-hmm. keeps saying that's what he needs to do. But Nick points these things out because that's why he's the pitcher list. Like this is what he does. And I know there's many other guys like yourself and others that, that pay attention to these kind of things. And it's amazing for the millions and maybe billions of dollars these teams spend on stuff, they can't figure the simplest things out. It's just mind-boggling, but uh, yeah, another time, another show, another day. But uh, who's the first guy that you got wrong?
0: Uh, the first guy that I got wrong. This is a little, it's a little sad for me. I'm gonna whisper just really low, like uh, what I had him <laughs> ranked at. Uh, her mom, Marquez. Yeah, I ranked him 14. Uh, consensus <laughs> was 25. Uh, didn't end well. Uh, I was wrong on Herman <laughs> Marquez. And I actually think, I think there was a, 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 it was really, um, you know, for everybody. So going back to previously for everybody who thought Nick Pavetta was going to be good and he sucked. And I just, you know, talked some trash. If you, in the same sense, thought Marquez was going to be crap. And I thought he was going to be good. We're even. Um, you know, the thing for Marquez, I think I learned a really valuable lesson with with him was even if the skills support what he did, right? He had two really nasty off-speed pitches. The, I think the swinging strike rate was like over 17% for the second half or something like that. Skills regress too, right? And so just because, just because he showed those skills of a certain point, period of time What's incredibly difficult and only the best pitchers do is they're able to maintain that, not even a 17% swinging strike rate, but a very high swinging strike rate over a consistent period of time. And so I think that's what I learned most about Marquez is that even if the skills support somebody doing something, that doesn't mean that regression doesn't come for them, right? Like it's something I should have known, but I think it's a really good example of that. And so that's my really sophisticated way of saying, or maybe sophisticated way of saying, Coors always wins. So I messed up, I'm sorry,
1: uh, no. never again. No, put Marquez in another ballpark and you're 100% correct. It's just, I don't, I, don't know what, I, I don't care what humidor they use, and it can never matter. Yep, agreed. It's just crazy. Um, my my guy is it's so similar to how you got this guy right and you got Marquez wrong. I got Marquez right and I got Shane Bieber wrong.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: uh, what it was with Bieber is I just, I know it, basically it's great at locating his pitches. That's what I'm gonna say because he his stuff doesn't look over dominating when you look at a lot of the numbers, and he seems to pitch to a lot of contact. Even though his strikeout rate jumped up pretty nicely, went from 24 to 30 percent this past year, that surprised me a ton. I didn't see that one coming at all. But his, his, his uh, home run rate also went up from one to 1.3. So the bouncy ball maybe took effect. 3.28 ERA, 3.23 xFIP. He pitched great. He was the number six pitcher on the player radar. Uh, last season, only behind the likes of Verlander, Cole, Strasburg, DeGrom, Granke. That's pretty good. Pretty good uh, class there. And right now he's the eighth pitcher off the board in NFBCs. That'll be kind of interesting. So basically if you have an an early round, first round pick, he's your wraparound target right now on the NFBCs. But he's a guy that I kind of want to buy into for this next year. I think his price tag is going to be too steep for me to take that plunge. It's just he throws in the zone so much, it scares the living snot out of me. But he's getting it done. So I got the beebs wrong. I wanted nothing to do with him. Like I said, I wanted Eduardo Rodriguez. That worked out. But I thought Bieber was a, not the, the guy that he definitely is. He's a lot better than I thought he was. Let's put it that way. Yeah, I've done a lot of studying of the Biebs,
0: uh over the offseason because I was wrong on him too. I, I didn't have any shares of Bieber. He was a guy I kind of liked like heading into last offseason, but the helium was so high. Like by the time draft, the big draft started rolling around in late March, like he was going right around pick 100. And so it was just a little high for me. But I think one of the things that I learned from from that and diving in, and I think we talked about this maybe a little bit uh, on one of our pods previously, is just like what it means to have a dominant uh, secondary offering. Like for him last year, the difference between him and Pavetta for me is that he had a pitch that had a 26.2% swinging strike rate and a 53% O swing last year, right? Like his slider is absolutely nasty. And having that type of pitch, it can help compensate for having a bad fastball. Like that's literally what every single Indian pitcher does. Like Clevenger does it, Carrasco does it, Kluber does it. Like none of them have dominating fastballs, but they all have incredible secondary pitches. And I think it was hard to see like the development that Bieber underwent. Like he, his slider was actually worse last year, but his curveball became his best pitch. Right, twenty four point three percent swinging strike rate, like a ten percent jump in swinging strike rate there. And to your point that he threw the ball in the zone way too much, is that's one of the changes that he that he made. Was he started throwing the ball in the zone less, eight percent less in twenty nineteen than in twenty eighteen? In twenty eighteen, it was forty eight percent zone rate a 40% zone rate. And one of the reasons he was able to do that is because he increased his O swing by 4%. So he's throwing the ball out of the zone he, more, generating more. You'd, you'd imagine the, you'd
1: imagine the curveball probably had something to do with that too.
0: Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's, he's got, he got two absolutely yeah. nasty pitches. And I think it was, I can't remember who I was talking with. It might've been Alex Chamberlain or there was somebody from uh, pitcher list. Oh man. I wish. I could remember the name. Um, oh, man, I want to say. Um, somebody from PitcherList, I'm super sorry for not. Oh, uh, Michael Ahetto, Um He, um, uh, PitcherList, it's at uh, Mikey, M-I-K-E-Y-A-J-E-T-O-P-L. Uh, um, he wrote a pitch about um, Bieber and essentially how his curveball made his uh, four-seam fastball a lot better. Um, it's a great read. I, I definitely recommend it. Um, but that was that helped give me a little bit more confidence too in going with Bieber because in my last draft, and I think I got clowned for this start of the draft. I started off with Verlander, Bieber, Ketel Marte, and JT Realmuto were my top four, um, and I really I like Bieber for that reason and the fact that he gave up 1.3 home runs per nine last year. And he still was super good. And yep. I think one of the reasons is because he doesn't walk guys.
1: He doesn't walk anybody.
0: He doesn't walk anybody at 4.7%. So it's just like yep. Justin Verlander where, yeah, you give up a ton of hard contact. You give up a ton of homers. But generally speaking, guys aren't on base. And so you can give up home runs with guys on, when guys aren't on base. Um, but I feel like he made some really good progress. Like whether he's going to be able to hold on to that, to all of it, I don't know but I'm willing to take him in the second round and I'm willing to have him ahead of some other guys because the volume too, he's a young guy. He's never had arm trouble. He's 24. Like he's never had arm trouble. He's never even had semblance of an injury. He threw 214 innings last year. Um, You know, so uh, for a lot of reasons, anyways, I just went on a long tangent, but I am kind of jazzed. It's it's,
1: it's very clear.
0: I I like
1: you. Yeah. You're you're a bel- believe a believer, and I just want to say I'm sorry. So yeah, um, yeah. Who's your number two? Um, my number two is
0: Trevor Bauer. I had him as my sixth best picture. He ended up it, the consensus was ten. He was god awful. Uh, he ruined two or three of my teams uh, single handedly. Um, and again, like a good example of a guy who's You know, batted ball metrics were super uh, good, Um, too good. You know, he had a 0.46 home run per nine after being nowhere remotely close um, to having that level of a home run per nine. And so that obviously regressed. He gives up. uh, He is a fly ball pitcher, um, and he gave up a lot of fly balls, and pretty much every single piece of his repertoire got worse. Like, uh, you know, he, he was saying how he was working on his change his changeup got worse after working on it all summer and his cutter wasn't as good. His slider wasn't as good. Nothing was good. It was all bad. He got you volume with the strikeouts, which was something the one, two, five whip isn't terrible, but God, did he hammer you. And that's, you know, for stretches of the season, he was just really, really brutal to own. So I will own that L big time. Um, and I've definitely paid the price for that one.
1: How about yeah, I'm you? Ki- oh, go ahead. I'm- I'm curious to see where where he if, if things change in Cincinnati. I'm really curious there because yeah, there there was a lot of talking going on and he uh, really blew it up last year. So we'll have to wait and see what happens there. My second one, he was he pitched really well. Zach Wheeler pitched great, 195 innings, three nine six ERA, um, almost a K per nine, a t- near 24 percent K rate. He pitched phenomenal. I'd be all over him again this next year. Uh, and NFBCs, he's going the 44th pitcher off the board at 123. But you look at the Rasball player radar. He's a 37 starting pitcher, uh, in, in fantasy dollars, basically on their player radar. He's uh, right in front of Marco Gonzalez, right behind Mike Fires. Mm-hmm. Not really a ringing endorsement. And the biggest reason I want to say I got him wrong. This is why I put him on here, is I had a bold prediction that I said Zach Wheeler would outperform Walker Bueller last season. So that is why I'm taking the L on Zach Wheeler. He pitched great. I want shares of Zach Wheeler this year, especially. The more you're talking about the the love for Philadelphia's uh analytics department will say. So uh I'd want him this year. I just I guess I was maybe as a year early on the Zach Wheeler uh big time season. So that's where I'm at on that one. Yeah. Um
0: yeah, nice. Yeah, Wheeler Wheeler's gonna be super interesting next year. God, there's so many interesting guys. Like even Bauer is super interesting, reunited with the drive line guys uh party wants to buy in, but oh, man. um so my yeah, number know th- that I know right I'll let somebody else bear that. Uh my number three guy I got wrong was uh Reynaldo Lopez. I thought Lopez was gonna take that next step. Little did I know that it was going to be his his teammate Lucas Giolito, um who ironically I owned a lot more of than Reynaldo Lopez like a few weeks into the season, but Lopez I had as, as my 55th pitcher overall, uh, he was 92 at consensus, uh, he was terrible, uh, he was awful, even after increasing the velocity the second half, uh, just not good, and he's a guy that confuses me a little bit, because I feel like he should be good, but he just hasn't been, so I'll be inter- it'll be interesting to watch him develop, like he's still really young, he still has potential but that one was definitely one that that hurt um at least at the beginning of the season um, when i when i owned a lot of shares so yeah who
1: is your who is your number 3 yeah we've talked about ray low before we're all big fans of him he's going around pick 300 right now so there's there's still a little interest there for sure uh, my number 3 is aaron Nolan. this is a guy that you know he came off a season you probably shouldn't have expected him to duplicate in 2018 in 237 era 212 innings. He still went 202 innings this last year. So back to back 200 plus innings, a 387 ERA with the bouncy balls, not bad. K rate about 27%, which he's done consistently for about four years. But his his walk rate went up to 9.4%, slightly concerning. And his home run rate went from 0.72 to 1.2. That's a half a home run per nine. That's a big jump. And that could be the bouncy ball. Definitely could be. He was also going around, you know, late round two, early round three in drafts last year finishes the uh, 26th starting pitcher off the board. So I don't know. He kind of looked like he was, wasn't was nearly as dominant, was dwindling off and on towards the end of last season. Something to definitely keep in mind is, you know, you look at his uh, ground ball rate was about the same, but just the home run for fly ball went way up, almost a 10% increase. So it is a little, little shaky there for sure. Going about pick 50 right now, the 13th starting pitcher off the board. So he's still fetching a premium after a kind of, rocky but not horrible it was definitely still a good season last year it's not what you were hoping for but he's still going pretty high like right behind Patrick Corbin right before Chris Paddock Luis Castillo Clayton Kershaw Lucas Giolito interesting group right there so Noel is a guy I like not sure how much I like him for 2020 and that grouping of pitchers but uh, I definitely got him wrong because I was buying into him if like if I didn't take a pitcher my first two rounds I take him in round three and that's the whole theory you were talking about take those two aces early because Nola was good, but what the aces did was a lot better than Aaron Nola.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it, it's interesting. You know, it, it, when it's all said and done, like you didn't lose your league because of Aaron Nola, right? Like, yeah. you know, he he was not as good as you wanted him to be, but he was okay. I had a tweet earlier in the offseason. I think he's, he's somebody that interests me. I haven't been able to take the dive yet. I'm, I'm only in like my, I don't know, third or fourth, like my second real draft, my third or fourth, like mock draft. Um, but you know i haven't been able to take the dive yet on him but he's definitely somebody who intrigues me he improved as the season progressed um he you know throws that volume two straight uh 200 plus innings pitch he's another guy that kind of last year checked the box of a little too good to be true which is why i didn't end up owning him anywhere with that 251 Babbitt and the 82 and a half percent left on uh, strand rate like that's not a terribly high strand rate, well, it is very high, but like for a guy like a Scherzer or a Cole or somebody who strikes out a ton of guys, I feel more comfortable with that. But a guy for somebody who's not as dominant from a strikeout perspective, like that definitely raises a little bit of alarms or at least like the the idea that regression should happen. And, you know, two, 295 Babbitt is reasonable from last year, two six, uh, 76.8% strand rate. Also reasonable. The concern was the walk rate, but that did improve, um, I believe, as the year progressed. And so Nola's definitely interesting. He's on a good team. He's going to have a much better defense behind him. I think with uh, uh, Kingery at third base, Segura at second base, uh, Didi at shortstop, and then um, uh, Hoskins will be at first. So should have a better um, infield behind him for that, that high ground ball rate. Um, So he's not somebody like having him as my second SP. Like I wouldn't be super uh, bummed out about that because even if he can just replicate what he did last year, um, you know, where he's going in drafts right now, you know, it's, it's that's a decent return on where he's going. And if you have another ACE to connect him with that you draft earlier on, that could be a nice approach where you're able to get two offensive players in between like an ACE in the first round and NOLA, and then you're able to get two. That's why I like guys like Nola or Giolito, like for next mm-hmm. year, potentially as that second ace. Like they're both inside my top 18 starting pitchers, I think. Um, mm-hmm. and guys I'd feel comfortable with there. But super interesting. Um uh yeah, gosh, I love I love talking starting pitchers. Yeah, there, there's so many ways to go with it.
1: Like, oh, so much, yeah. And, and that's where I agree with the Nola and those guys. As a second, I'm all about it. It's like, do I really want to be my first though? That's mm-hmm. where it gets. It's dicey, but uh, yeah, there's so many ways to go. And the more I've talked or looked at starting pitchers, like that's why I can kind of go with like 20 to 25 guys that I, I really, really like. And then it gets really murky for a bit. There's a couple guys here and there, but they're kind of dicey. And then there's another group later on where it looks like, okay, I'll start taking my gambles again. Cause there's some interesting value. So it, it'll be really, really interesting to see as we do more and more drafts and research and all that fun stuff to see where it goes. But speaking on that, what's kind of your thoughts? You're in your second draft. You've done a few mocks. How are, you, how are you feeling about the 2020 pitching class?
0: Oh, man, Bubba, I could talk for a really long time about this. Do we have another hour and a half on the pod? <laughs> um, just kidding. Uh, just to let folks know, uh, my Aaron Nola of 2020 is Jack Flaherty with his 242 BABIP and his 83.3% strand rate. So I'll just, I'm just going to leave that there. He's a guy that I'm not going to own this year, especially where he's going in drafts. But with that said, heading into next year, um, yeah, you know, I feel pretty good right now about the top 18 starting pitchers. I think who I mentioned, we had talked earlier about Darvish. I like Darvish where he's going right now. Um, he He's kind of the last guy that I would like. So he's going at pick 73, which is kind of, which is super interesting. Like he, I'm ex. I'm just waiting for that helium to go up, but it hasn't yet. I think it will more when 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 things go up. So guys, I feel comfortable with as kind of like my starting pitchers: Cole, Degrom, Verlander, Scherzer, Bueller, Clevenger. I mean, Flaherty, like not where he's going right now. I won't own any of him, but he's still a good pitcher. Bieber, Strasburg, I think Snell is some really good value i'm really looking in some drafts to be able to start like with a cole or de and then pick up one of the um, nice hitters in the second round that's largely available and then get like a snell coming back around um i think you know snell's a guy where you know the skills were really good he had a really bad season we forget how good he was before that first injury and he came back and he was awesome um sale is iffy you know i want to see what he's doing in spring training corbin has shown you know the last two years that he's solid nola i think i'm not a big chris paddock fan still just the two pitch mix does not get me going i like giolito kershaw i like as a sp2 not down with Sevy. like morton and then darvish i don't like crankier glass now is kind of a, a top 18 those are the guys where i'm trying trying to I'm really trying to target two of them. And one thing I'd say is like a lot of my analysis is very much geared towards 15 team and FBC centric drafts. So just know that as I talk about like, you know, wanting to get two aces to begin with, like if I'm in a 12 team league, I think it would be great to get an ace early on and then go with one of those secondary aces like a Nola where, you know, you could go like Verlander and then you get three hitters and then you're getting Nola as your second starter. I think that's a really nice strategy in like a 12 team league. But for me, in a fifteen-team league, like I just love getting starting pitchers early. I love the base that it sets for me. I love the flexibility it gives me later. Like when you get it, when you start off with like a, a Verlander or a B and, and Bieber to start off with, guys like Miles Mikolas. You mentioned this in your analysis. Like guys like uh, you didn't mention Mikolas. You mentioned somebody similar to him, but like a Miles Mikolas who's like tons of volume, not a ton of K's, decent ratios, like. You tack him on to a start of Verlander Bieber, and he becomes a really nice uh, pitcher on your staff. And it gives you just so much room to make errors in other parts of the draft and then just go volume towards the back end of the draft with some high upside guys and hope that a couple of them connect. And so that's like my overarching strategy. But one thing I'll say is if you do go ace ace, I highly, highly recommend being willing to punt pitching for a while. Like I generally go two aces followed by seven or eight uh hitters in a row and then waiting on my on my closers as well so those are kind of like the 18 guys that i'm kind of into as like getting two of those guys to start off a draft um i really really believe strongly at least in the formats that i play that going heavy with starting pitchers to start off with is a really good strategy i also think if you're in quality start leagues i think that also places an emphasis Mm -hmm. on starting pitchers um, and that's something that I did uh, last year in the one quality start league that I had. Unfortunately, one of those starting pitchers was Trevor Bauer, um, mm-hmm. which uh, didn't make up for Jacob deGrom being the mm-hmm. other one. So, anyways, that's that. I'll I'll cut it at that. But I believe heavily in going heavy starting pitcher early on, and then missing that glob, and then going for you know some higher skilled. Um, upside guys later on because I think yes they may have a little bit more volatility than some of those guys that you're getting you know your Danilson Lamets your you know Zach Wheelers your Mike Sorokas your Zach Gallons but you're also paying like five rounds less you know for that that little bit of difference in in the range of outcomes that they might have
1: yeah no we have a lot of similar thoughts on that your your top 18 um, on most of those guys as well. A couple guys are going after them that kind of, if you do want to get uh, picky in here, is like James Paxton is a guy I really want to buy back into. Sonny Gray, I believe, what we saw there. I think Carlos Carrasco is going to be sneaky nice I pick 107. He was a guy that was going way earlier last season. So he's a guy to keep an eye on, like Frankie Montas coming back. It's, this is part of the glob, but these are guys mm-hmm. that I don't mind. Like you mentioned Wheeler, Gallon, Rodriguez all going together these are options that i don't mind if you don't want to uh wait till later on but i don't disagree with waiting till later on because you get some really really interesting options but pitching is deep it just depends on what you're looking for is how deep you go so um there's there's definite options there we'll break it all down for you later on but uh toby this will probably do it until the new year since we won't be doing one next week um we might do one on the 30th we'll we'll get back in touch and go from there but this could be it for the new year so any final parting thoughts to the listeners
0: no um just wishing everybody uh, a happy holidays merry christmas to folks happy hanukkah hanukkah is late this year it starts on december 22nd so some overlap with christmas which is always nice for those of us who celebrate a little bit mm-hmm. of both Um, but whatever you celebrate, you choose to celebrate, you don't choose to celebrate. I hope you have a wonderful holiday season with family, with friends, with loved ones. Uh, drink a lot of hot chocolate with peppermint schnapps in it, or (laughs) just regular hot chocolate with marshmallows and some good cream. Whatever it is, just hope that you um that you're able to spend uh, some time with uh with some people you love and really appreciative of everybody for listening throughout this whole year, like me and Bubba. I love being on with Bubba. Uh, have a blast with you, Bubba. Very appreciative and thankful to have you during this holiday season. Um, even though it sounds like you're you're traveling around all over the place, um, and yeah, and just uh, very very thankful to everybody, and really appreciate it. Have a wonderful holiday season and uh, a happy new year if
1: we're not on before then. Yeah, happy holidays, everybody! Uh, happy Merry Christmas, happy Hanukkah, as my. My wife's family is Jewish, so I get to partake in all of that. So that's always uh, very entertaining when it crosses over like that. But uh, yeah, have a happy holiday. And thank you, everybody, that listens. We enjoy doing the show. Feelings are the same, Toby. Uh, it's great t- chatting with you. So uh, we will be back with you guys maybe on the 30th. We'll see We'll see how the, the plans and traveling goes. But uh, everyone be safe. Have fun. Enjoy your friends and family. And we'll be back with you guys next time. This was Bubba and Batflip 17. Have a good one.
0: That is going to wrap us up for episode 106 of the Batflip Crazy podcast thank you so much for listening uh, to this episode to all of the episodes it has been a wonderful uh, year uh, for fantasy baseball for the podcast for everything just cannot uh, tell all of you how much I appreciate uh, you listening you engaging I have so much fun talking fantasy baseball on Twitter so thank you for being part of the community uh, that allows me to do that fun episode with Bubba there um you know, an hour and a half, hopefully of mostly goodness, um, talking some MLB news, looking back at some starting pitchers, talking a little bit of starting pitcher uh, draft strategy heading into this year. Um, A lot of fun for sure. All right. Best of luck with all of your fantasy baseball research. Have a great holidays. Take care and be kind to one another.